Hello and welcome to Lost in Sci-Fi and Fantasy. I'm your host Leo, and today we are talking about Shazam! Fury of the Gods. This week it's going to be a little bit short. Uh, let's kind of get that out of the way. It's going to be a little bit short because of a couple things. One, I am doing this mostly from memory. And two, because I didn't really want to watch it again. I watched it like a couple weeks ago. And two, uh, I want to leave a decent amount of room for for the challenge update. Uh, it's not great this week, I will say. But anyway, let's go ahead and dive in in with let's start with you know th this is a sequel to Shazam so let's talk about Shazam first so I actually saw Shazam the first one in theaters around the time it released I think it was around its release weekend and I enjoyed it it was a little bit long but it did a good job of like establishing the character and it went in darker places than I was expecting so you know I, I was pleasantly surprised by the fact that it was willing to go to to darker places for what I was assuming would be a, a fairly light and fluffy movie. So that that was a nice twist on things. And overall, I, I did enjoy the first movie. But then a family member of mine played the movie to death and was put off of it. So I wasn't super excited for the sequel. I was interested in it. Like, the concept seemed okay, but I wasn't a big fan of the trailers. And so in when it eventually came out in theaters, I decided to pass it up. I was like, nah. But recently, I decided to give it a watch. And it's fine. <laughs> like, I, whenever I think back on it, I just feel it was kind of there. Like, it doesn't feel super long. And it, for the most part, it kind of isn't all that long. So I just, I, I don't know, it just doesn't feel toothsome, I guess, is the, is the phrase, is, is the word. It doesn't feel like... It's something to like sink your teeth in and enjoy. There are some elements that I did enjoy and I, I like very much, but then there's just stuff that it doesn't do anything with. So let's let's go ahead and do do a quick recap. So the movie opens somewhere. I guess I'm assuming Athens, though it is very hard to tell uh, because it, it doesn't it doesn't tell you where it is. And the the guy inside the museum speaks, like, perfect English. So you kind of have to assume that it, it's... You have to assume it's Athens, maybe, based off of the, like, establishing shot. And then where, where there's, like, the Parthenon and everything. But then I just keep thinking, well, maybe one of these cities just has, like, a rebuild of it. I, I don't know. It It threw me off so much trying to figure out, is this Athens? Or is it not Athens? But let, let's say it is Athens. So it opens in Athens, and we follow these two Greek soldiers as they walk up to a guy in the museum talking about the staff from the previous Shazam movie. Uh, it took me a minute to realize that it was the staff from the previous Shazam movie, because I it just flew right over my head for like the first bit of... <laughs> For the first bit of while he was talking about it, I was like, oh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. So it's it's the staff that um, Dr. Savano was using at the end of the film. I think it's the, the staff of the wizard, maybe, they got, got from the wizard. I can't fully remember. I haven't watched original Shazam in a while. Uh, I just, they, they replay the scene of them snapping it over their knee 
supposedly by doing that, by snapping it over their knee, it opened up the worlds to to interconnect the world of the gods and and theirs, so that the they had power again. It, it's very vaguely explained, but these two Greek soldiers, it turns out, are the daughters of Atlas. I can't remember their names, so I'm not going. I mean, one of them's name is named Calypso, so it's it's you know it follows vaguely with Greek mythology, at least along with Calypso, though her name is spelled with a K. Which, I guess, sometimes it is. Depends on the version. But, anyway, they go in, they just flip the glass, take the staff, and then I think they forge it back together. Oh, no, they I think they have the wizard do it later. Because it turns out the wizard from the first Shazam is still alive, though he crumbled to dust. They vaguely, they've, they vaguely address this, but they just kind of, like, again, hand wave it away. But, yeah, so their plans are to well their plans are divided and kind of from early on it it's shown that they're not quite working on the same level one person i think calypso is wanting to get revenge on mankind for having pretty much forgotten the gods and whatnot so she she wants to teach them a lesson by by regrowing the golden apple tree in the middle of a city and you know pretty much causing terror the other one the what who's supposed to be the leader one she just kind of wants to reestablish the god's power in general so she she wants to you know kind of rebuild their world while maybe getting revenge she's she still she has like a bit of a vengeance streak for part of the film but then for like the rest of it she doesn't it it's it gets a bit muddled but anyway before we continue on with them let's kind of check in with our heroes shazam and the shazam family so they have been tense i guess it's it's a bit weird to describe so basically they each want to do their own thing but billy paranoid wants to make sure that they do it all like everybody or nobody so it's either the entire shazam family or no one and so they they get a call. They, one of them, the the one on crutches, like again, Freddy, I think his name is. I, I'm having trouble remembering any other names. The only ones I remember, I think, are Freddy, Mary, and Billy. <laughs> the rest, I, I can't remember. I think, nah, I'm not even gonna try. It's fine. But he he has a a, a police scanner app, I guess, and hears that there's trouble at the bridge or a bridge. And so they all assemble and leave to go save the bridge. And they do okay. They're able to save everyone off the bridge, but they're not able to save the bridge itself. And this is where we learn that Philadelphia, because I just remembered where they are, because they're called the Philly Fiascos, or nicknamed the Philly Fiascos, uh, they don't, don't really jive, they don't really mesh well with the Shazam family. They do okay, but they end up causing a lot more damage in the end. Like, sure, they save lives, good, they're heroes, but eh. So they're they're overall a bit mixed on it. Fre- Freddy wants to branch off the most. Freddy wants to branch off and just superhero on his own. Mary wants to, you know, hang out with kids her age. Uh, but for the most part, this isn't really expanded on much. Like, we get one scene where Freddy 
you know, goes off and does a little bit of heroing on his own once. Uh, I think he fucking, he, he fails a bit at it uh, when, when he tries to do that. And we get a scene where Mary has a hangover because she went and hung out with some, you know, people her age uh, and drank a little bit too much. And so now she has a hangover the next day. Other than that, it's kind of brushed over. Except for another small-ish scene with Freddy, or I guess it's a small collection of scenes where Freddy um, ends up getting a crush on a new girl that arrives at the school. And she, you know, she starts kind of picking up on it while also recognizing his kind of bravery in the face of adversity. But yeah, so they start hanging out a little bit more. So that's kind of cute. Uh, but yeah, other than that, it's just kind of uh, Billy bumbling around for a little bit, mostly kind of interspersed with the the uh, gods just kind of working on the plan a bit until, oh, you know, the, the, the needle drops and it turns out that, well, while Freddy was trying to impress the girl, he tells her that he knows one of the Shazam family, though at the time, I can't remember what, he, he gives them all so, such stupid names, but, but yeah, so he, he's trying to impress her by saying that he knows them, and he's like, oh, you know, I'll just go call him real quick, and so he leaves and comes back as the superhero version of himself, and it's revealed that she is also one of the sisters, She's not one of them in disguise. She's she. That's just how she looks. She she's just straight up one of the sisters. Which, if you look at the DVD cover, um, kind of spoils it. <laughs> oh, and speaking of the DVD, real quick before we uh, continue on, for some reason the DVD version of the film, we bought it, we went to watch it, and it died halfway through. It I don't. I, it just did. Don't know why. So we ended up finishing it on on Max. So after she reveals that she is one of the sisters, she, you know, she starts talking about, you know, expressing worry for Freddy, like what seems to be genuine worry. And it, when she finds out that Freddy is this superhero, she is kind of distraught. She's like, Oh, Oh, I didn't know. Cause it seems that she actually genuinely, did like him and and so she she feels some remorse for having tricked him not knowing that she was tricking him uh then the god the goddesses kind of put a dome over fit they put a dome over philadelphia uh trapping everyone in kind of and they pretty much hold the city hostage in order to try and get the Shazam family to give up their powers. So what they're trying to do is take the powers back to use them. Because one of the powers is the... I think it's the strength... No, what is it? The A in Shazam is Atlas. And they're the daughters of Atlas. So they're trying to get their dad's power back, but also take the other powers, I guess. Why they need the power specifically, I don't know. I think it's just that they want them. Because their their main goal, I think it it's partially a ruse. Because their their main goal is to get into the Shazam base to get the apple 
the golden apple, to plant the golden apple, one you know they they they're still debate as to where they wanted to plant the apple. That that's kind of their main goal, uh, which they succeed in doing. They trick the Shazam family in ca- into capturing one of them after taking, I think, one more of their powers. Um, they capture her. She just leaves, takes the apple, and goes back through. And this is actually where I started kind of enjoying the film a little bit more, was in the end of it, <laughs> because it shows a lot of fun kind of Greek-ish stuff, which, you know, I like Greek stuff. It's fun. So there's the labyrinth. that They're in a labyrinth in the realm of the gods, I think. Um, and then the, the tree with the golden apple is actually from a, a Greek myth with um, Hercules, is it, I think? I think Hercules is the one that had to steal the golden apple, maybe. There's a couple of them that had trials. It's weird. Um, yeah, it was Hercules. Then after they plant it, they decide to plant it in the Philly Stadium. I don't know what the name of the actual stadium is. But they plant it in the stadium, and it grows a giant tree, and the roots go throughout the city, the domed area of the city. From it, these roots, there's like these like nodules that kind of grow on them, and then pop and out come, like, the mythological monsters. So, you know, you get a minotaur, a centaur, um, I think a centaur, yeah. I think some satyrs, as well as, um, cyclopses, yeah. Oh, and a manticore, yeah. A a bunch of, like, mythological monsters start sprouting out, and it's, it's really cool. The funny thing is I really enjoyed the design of the Cyclops because it reminded me of, like, a Ray Harryhausen Cyclops. So it, it just, it really worked <laughs> for me. But yeah, with, with all this going on, the Shazam family kind of goes into a bit of a, a scramble because they were able to steal the Golden Apple back briefly and they were, there was this whole chase and a, a dragon before they were able to plant it. So the Shazam family, a couple of them depowered now, uh... Go go on a scramble to try and help the citizens out by, like, hitting the monsters with their van. Uh, this is where they tell their adoptive parents, or adoptive foster parents, um, you know, what's what's going on. The fact that they're, they're the Shazam people, and, you know, it explains why their house keeps getting struck by lightning. And so, yeah, they do that. The wizard tells them that the only thing that the monsters fear is a unicorn but unicorns are the worst monster of all the only way that you might be able to get them to help is with ambrosia and the little girl uh says oh okay i have an idea so they go seek out the unicorns and she she gives them skittles it's a bit silly but yeah she gives them skittles and the unicorns help they ride the unicorns and whatnot meanwhile with the bad guys uh i think calypso betrays the older one stabbing her with the the wooden dragon she she takes a while to die eventually shazam goes to her and is like hey i need your help like stopping your sister so here's the plan here's what i need you to do so what she does is she shrinks the dome down to just over the stadium shazam is then pretty much trapped with the main bad lady in this area because he he had noticed something about the dome reflecting the power and then like it gets absorbed into the staff so his plan is to pretty much overload the staff 
to the point where it it blows up and kills him and her. He's willing to sacrifice himself to save the city. And he does in a pretty, you know, nice action-packed scene. It's probably the most visually interesting bit of the film, maybe. He blows up, she blows up, the one goddess dies, uh, the bad goddess dies, Calypso. The other one is now mortal. She lost her powers, so now she's just hanging out. And then they decide to bury him on, I believe, Mount Olympus, in which they're like, oh, you know, we we could theoretically uh, revive the land of the gods if only we had a god. But, you know, the one god here doesn't have powers anymore. Then Wonder Woman shows up. And this scene was okay, very awkward. It was nice that they actually, like, showed her face. Because technically, this is considered the new... Well, it's technically considered the new-ish, first-ish thing in the new-ish DC slate. Basically, it has an, enough of a disconnect, not enough interaction with the rest of the DC universe occurs for it to not be within the new upcoming canon. But Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman shows up and you actually see her face, unlike the Superman cameo in the first one. And uh, you could tell that she filmed it in, like, a day in a different room, like, on, like, different days even, probably, than the rest of the cast. Because all of her shots are either from behind or are just her, which means that no one else interacted with her. So, yeah. But she revives the land, and Shazam's revived along with it, and the one child of Atlas also gets her powers back. So it's a nice little thing, and that's about it. The wizard survives this time, and he, he kind of goes on a bit of a journey, takes the staff back, um, just kind of hangs out. There, there was an, another through line. So the reason that Billy was so kind of clingy to his affair his adoptive family is because since he's technically still part of the foster system, he can only stay there until he's 18. At which point he either needs to contribute by paying or he needs to leave. And he, he is having trouble facing that. And part of the reason is because the foster people, like the foster system kind of, I guess supposedly helps pay for their house as long as, um, they're taking in, like, people, but they'll only support the kids that they're fostering if, you know, they're under 18. It, it's complicated. Basically, the twist is that they bought the house, so they no longer really have to rely on the, the foster care system money. So Billy's able to stay there as long as he wants, and, you know, he can help out with money and whatnot if need be question mark question mark you know yay happy ending although their house was destroyed by the dragon but it, it gets rebuilt in the in the end and then there's another dr savannah um post credit scene where he's like it's been two years i've been waiting for the stupid worm why hasn't like the, the worm shows up again and is like hey like i'm small i i take time to get around but i have a few more things to do and then he leaves <laughs> again Pretty much saying that he's going to be stuck there for another, like, two years. Anywho, so, how, how was, how was, it? it's okay. 
it's kind of forgettable. The brand synergy wasn't there as well because, like, I think a couple months earlier, Black Adam released, and people were kind of annoyed that Black Adam released had nothing to really do with Shazam, even though he is like a Shazam character, and then Shazam Two released and had nothing to do with Black Adam, although it technically very much should have. Like th- those two movies should have been merged at some point to just kind of be the same movie like maybe black adam comes in and helps him or maybe black adam was the villain but he gets you know convinced to not be i don't know it's very confusing the state of things but anyway that's that's shazam fury of the gods it's okay i mean if you're looking for a movie to turn your mind off yeah go ahead it it's good for that i guess it's just kind of a bleh movie because like i said it just it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like it has much substance it just feels like it kind of rushes through its plot to get to the end as fast as possible and is pretty much saying don't look at me don't look at me don't look at me don't look at me the entire time i i don't know anywho <laughs> with that said yeah go ahead and watch it if you feel like it, it it's meh but Anywho, let's go ahead and get into the challenge update. So, as I alluded to at the beginning of this episode, because I'm, I'm just going to go straight through, <laughs> because I'm recording this episode later than normal, and this weekend is so busy, plus I also have to record some some episodes of Star Wars The Clone Wars, because I did not uh, finish the game in the, the one sitting that I was hoping to. Oh well. <laughs> that said... Let's get into the update. So I finished Sphere last week. Of course, I talked about it then. But by the time I was done with Sphere, I was very optimistic. I was, you know, I didn't want to start the Kane Chronicles yet because I wanted to just get all my Sphere thoughts out and whatnot. But I was looking forward to Kane Chronicles because I was was hoping for something simple. Because Sphere was kind of weird and complicated and like, what? (laughs) So I was like, yeah, okay, go into something simple, something straightforward and then Kane Chronicles decided to bash me over the head with a brick and said, Nah, we're going to make this the most complicated fucking story you're going to have to read. <laughs> it's like, no, why? <laughs> so, let's, let's, let's discuss. So Kane Chronicles, the story is fine. It's not super convoluted, although I am a little bit annoyed about some things. And the again, the overall plot is fine. What I don't like are the main characters and how the book is is presented. So Kane Chronicles is written as if it were found footage kind of. So here, let me just grab the book real quick. So the big the book opens with a a warning. You know, after the table of contents it goes warning. The following is a transcript of a digital recording. In certain places the audio quality was poor. So some words and phrases represent the author's best guesses. Where possible, illustrations of important symbols mentioned in the recording have been added. Background noises such as scuffling, hitting, cursing by the two speakers have not been transcribed. The author makes no claims for the authenticity of the recording. It seems impossible that the two young narrators are telling the truth, but you, the reader, must decide for yourself. So, yeah, that that's how the book is presented. And at first I was like, okay, that's a bit odd. Like, literally... You, you can see 
why Rick Rorden only did that for this series. Because he doesn't do it in any of his other series. But he decided, you know what, let's try something new. Let's try something different. I'm guessing that the author mentioned there is supposed to be Rick Rorden. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to be some other fictional author. I I don't know. But, yeah, I, I wish it, it took that one line where, like, things have been removed um, to, to the next level. Because I, I feel it would have been fine if that was left there and they just added maybe one extra line saying, you know, any, instead of, you know, the scuffling cursing and whatnot has been, you know, edited out or changed and changed it to, it has been adapted into a narrative format. Get rid of all, because the way that they go with the, the audio recording-ness of it is periodically the book is interrupted, the story is interrupted, by these little asides that's supposed to be them arguing. Now, either this microphone has, like, insane levels of, like, gain reduction to where you can't hear the background noise at all, or the author, Rick Rorden, decided to just kind of hand wave it. Because the interruptions are only from the perspective of the current speaker. This book is separated between Carter and Sadie, two chapters each. And so, yeah, let me, I'm just trying to find an example here real quick, because it happens fairly, oh, I'll get to that in a minute, Uh, that's another thing that's just, ah, but yeah, basically it's just them kind of grumbling to each other, and so we have, he has to write it to where the speaker addresses what the other person said every time. Or else we wouldn't we wouldn't know what they said because you're not telling us what they said. I feel that this would have been maybe slightly better done if it was kind of written like um, audio an audio play script where it's like character character kind of thing. I don't know, maybe because even then that wouldn't work very well because the way that this is written is for the most part like a normal book. It kind of feels like the the weird audio file the weird audio recording-ness of this was a last-minute thought and kind of clumsily sewn on at the end. Because it, for the most part, reads fine. But you're constantly reminded by the book itself or just by the fact that it's the premise that, no, this is supposed to be an audio recording. So a lot of this doesn't make sense. The way he talks doesn't make sense. Well, sorry, the way they talk doesn't make sense. So the the best example of what I'm talking about here is, I'll I'll leave a comment in the dis, like uh, down below this video, or the video version of this on YouTube. I'll leave a comment with a clip, like a a specific section of Dominic Noble's video on Twilight Eclipse, where he discusses the kind of awkwardness of Jasper relaying his past. Besides the fact that he's a Confederate soldier. But the way he actually talks in that is he talks in dialogue, which is a very awkward thing when you put it in the context of two people talking, like normally. Even recounting a story, it doesn't work to speak in, in like, book manuscript. <laughs> it just doesn't work. So, for example, I'll read, um, I'll read a bit. 
here. I should probably go to a bit I've already read. I'm not very far through the book. I'm only at page 158, so I'm not even halfway through. I'll, I'll get to it later. Um, so, here we go. Bast sheathed her blades. Safe now. Sadie and I looked at each other. You saved us from a metal ball, Sadie said. You never know, Bast said. It could have been hostile. Just then, a deep boom shook the ground. I looked back at the mansion. Tendrils of blue fire curled up from the top windows. Come on, Bast said. Our time is up. It's very awkward when you're imagining Carter and Sadie are just like sitting somewhere or they're walking because at some point one of the exchanges of the microphone is um, is because they're being followed or whatever. So, I don't know. The, the setup of this book is weird. And annoying. <laughs> and I guess it's, it's a good enough time to also discuss something I've had a problem with throughout all of the Heroes of Olympus series. And it is the use of hooks. Now, a hook is something to get you reading. And keep you reading, ideally. This book both has the initial hook. And luckily, it doesn't have too much in the way of continual hooks. Because, you know... It has to deal with the weird um, Carter-Sadie arguing in the recording thing. I don't know. The the choice of two siblings that constantly bicker as your main characters, not the best choice, I, I'd say. Uh, especially when it's constantly interrupting the story you're trying to tell, which again, is a fine story, a fine concept, but it's really annoying to constantly be pulled out of the story so that they can make a weird aside to each other. It, uh... Anywho, so the hooks. In Heroes of Olympus, I was getting very frustrated because almost every chapter started with a new hook. It gets very annoying at that point. Cause it, so, in this case, uh, the hooks are sentences that don't really pertain to where you are currently in the story. They are things... That are set either slightly partially down the way or very far down the way. You don't know until you get there. That's the point of the hook is to try to, like, hey, here's something interesting that happens. Now let's get you there. Rick Rorden in The Heroes of Olympus did that with almost every chapter. <laughs> and with this, the main hook, the one that's supposed to get you interested, is technically actually the warning is technically the main hook. But the main actual in story hook is pretty much saying it's it's the beginning of the recording saying hey listen carefully um if you're reading or if you're hearing this you're already in danger go to the school find the locker the combination's this which means nothing to us like i think that's a level of hookedness that's a bit too much you know it, it, it just takes a, a step too too far. With Percy Jackson and the Olympians, like, the first initial hook is like, hey, you know, if you have any kind of inkling that you might be a demigod, stop reading this. That's fine. Uh, and, of course, a lot of the main hooks in that are the weird chapter titles. Same thing here is the weird chapter titles. But, yeah, it's... I don't know. <laughs> it's okay. But yeah, so King Chronicles, I'm, I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble with because, because of the weird decision to make it a transcription 
well, a, a pseudo transcription of an audio recording doesn't really work. I don't like that. Then there's the characters. Carter is okay. He he gets a little bit meh, but that's mostly because of a different issue I have. Sadie sucks, though. Sadie is the annoying little sister to the nth degree because now she also comes with a fucking British accent. It It's so weird. And Rick Rorden decided, yeah, let, let's just chuck in as much British slang as we can. Uh, let's not decide exactly what her accent actually sounds like. Let's kind of, you know, let's play with it a little bit and give her just random fucking uh, slang from throughout. So you imagine her with this terrible fucking screechy fake British accent that just doesn't work and doesn't even fully make a whole lot of sense at times. It just makes me so sad. <laughs> makes me so, so tired and sad. So her parts suck, and yeah, the the reason it also sucks the most, what brings both characters from, you know, meh and mildly annoying to, uh, on both accounts, is they're constantly flipping everything. <laughs> now, I, I can't tell if it's because Rick Rorden is trying to go for a semi-dual unreliable narrator situation where one person will like build themselves up while slightly bringing the other person down but the problem with that is that these flipped motivations or flipped um reactions happen usually within the same section so like while we're following Sadie, it's like within the same section, or while we're following Carter, it's in the same section. My, my best example is when they first arrive at the mansion, both Carter and Sadie are kind of slightly off-put, though sometimes, you know, one will be more interested and then go back to being kind of creeped out. Uh, but when they're both shown to their rooms, they are locked in. You know, Sadie starts kind of freaking out and crying, saying that they're in prison, or that they're being imprisoned. Uh, they go to bed, and in the morning, she's fine. In fact, she keeps kicking Carter, because Carter is asking any fucking questions at all. And he, she also told uh, Amos everything. So she just flipped. Then later on, when they're fleeing said mansion, they... um. Bast is potentially overrun and potentially killed, at least as far as they're concerned. And as they're running away, Carter is pulling her away, and Sadie is, like, freaking out, right? And wanting to go back and help Bast. Then, like, a couple pages later, she completely flips and is the one forging ahead into the museum. I don't know. It, it gets very annoying how often in the middle of their chapter they will flip opinions or just completely change their mind and i'm i'm kind of getting sick of the the oblivious main character trope i guess you could call it i understand that they're supposed to be the perspective character right the the one that you can put your feel like you're stepping into their shoes kind of thing. So, 
they need everything explained to them. But you would think at some point, you would have a fuck it mentality. Now, what is a fuck it mentality? It's a, things are going to happen, things are already happening, fuck it, let's just roll with it. Just go, okay, and move on. Instead, and understandably this is the first book in this trilogy, and god, I am dreading the rest of the trilogy, but the, and you have to introduce us to everything, but the thing is, technically, in some ways, both of them are the Annabeths of this, of this, like, world, because both of them know different things. Sadie, for some reason, can read hieroglyphs. That's kind of neat. And Carter, um, he's been following his dad around ancient, sorry, not ancient, has been following his dad around Egypt and all over the world for his entire life, and so theoretically would know a lot about this stuff, and at times he actually does supply information. They make it a little bit more like pulling his teeth for some reason, as if it's something extremely difficult for him to do, but you'd think that since he's been doing it for the past six years, at least, he would have a better grasp upon the situation, especially since, you know, it's kind of his main schooling. He doesn't go to a normal high school or anything, he's homeschooled, and even that's just kind of, like, general. So, yeah, it, it just, uh And then, yeah, Sadie can read hieroglyphs, mostly. She can't read anything with a, a loop around it, because it's supposed to, like, symbolize a protective rope, and she can't read hieroglyphic cursive, I guess. It's a bit weird. But, yeah, so, it's whatever. So, what does this mean for the remainder of the challenge? Not too much. As it is, I was able to somehow have decent foresight and have art, had already planned these books spaced out. So I don't have to worry about, you know, slogging through all three now. It's spaced out and I can whew, take, take, a, take a nice breather. But, as as of now, I'm recording this on a Friday, Friday morning, and my main worry is how long it might take me to actually finish this. Because, like I said, I'm not even halfway through, and I technically started this last Wednesday. Not even this past Wednesday. Um, and it, it's just super hard for me to read. Am I going to skip it? No. Because this was a punishment. For having already skipped a book, and it bears Rick Riordan's name, and nothing with Rick Riordan's name is allowed to be vetoed in this challenge, because, you know, the whole point of the challenge is to read all of the things. So that means I'm stuck with it. And that means it's going to eat in to the Trials of Apollo, a Hidden Oracle, I think is the first book? Uh, the Hidden Oracle's time. But, as long as I'm able to finish this book relatively early, like Monday, Tuesday, then we're in the clear. Because Hidden Oracle is about the length of a normal Percy Jackson book. So I should be able to burn through it in a couple of days. It's also not written in a weird fucking manner. And all the chapters are relatively short, so I should be able to just whoosh, burn through it. And it's also from a singular perspective. 
I don't have to worry about it jumping perspectives or anything. We're following one perspective all the way through, baby. So, so, who? So here's the plan of attack. So it's currently Friday, and I'm not even halfway through. The plan is by Sunday, I need to be halfway through. Then on Sunday, I edit this as well as the um, video game episode for the week, and then I, I work, I, I read. I just keep reading. I get past halfway through, and I get into the end. Hopefully, at some point, this story clicks for me. It it so far is not. I do not like it. It is like pulling teeth. <laughs> Every time I pick it up, anytime I'm actually getting into the story, it ruins it through having it aside for no real reason. Or it ruins it because you realize that Carter's talking a lot about Sadie, which is very weird because she's like right behind him while describing her. Uh, and she's not reacting at all. It is. It just. It irks me every time. Anywho, so I'm gonna to try to finish this by Monday, Tuesday morning, ish, and then I will move on to Trials of Apollo. Get through that relatively fast with any luck. I sh it should only take me like Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we should be golden. And I had an idea for what I was going to do for the next episode. But I forgot it. I, <laughs> I, I can't remember. Hmm. I might have to do another kind of, kind of, underhand, easy throw. Maybe we'll see. Because things are getting complicated again. <laughs> I, I need to do Avatar Book Two sometime. I won't be doing it anytime soon, but I might do it. Um, might do it sometime soon. I don't know. Like I said, it's a, it's a complicated. <laughs> like as it is right now, yeah, I have no clue what I want to do for the next episode. I might do Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. I won't be summarizing the story there because that's too much. But I, I do. There's some things about my experience playing it that I want to talk about and whatnot. So maybe I'll do Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, or I'll do a movie of some sort. I don't know. I had an idea, but I just, I just lost it. It just whew, disappeared. Oh, well. Anywho, with that, I think I'll end it here. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys like this, feel free to give it a like, comment, or subscribe on YouTube, or give it a review uh, on your podcast catcher of choice, uh, and feel free to share it, because, yeah. <laughs> Anywho, thank you guys so much for listening. I'll talk to you guys later. Goodbye.